Prepare foods in more helpful ways. Improve the health of others. Help people accomplish their goals. Be inspired by the stories you hear. Welcome to the hot sauce. Today, we are going to feature Mary Russell, a registered dietitian nutritionist that resides in Madison, Wisconsin. All right, welcome back to the hot sauce. Today, we have a very special guest with us. We have uh, Miss Mary Russell here. Um, we're going to go ahead and we're going to put her in the hot seat here. So she's on the big screen. <laughs> so glad to have you here. Could you... Um, Go ahead and take a take a minute to introduce yourself and tell us about your journey into the profession. Yeah, sure, Angel. Thanks so much for having me. This is really a pleasure and a privilege. Yeah, I, my name is Mary Russell, and I am I'm a roughly forty year member of the academy. And my journey into the profession was a little bit strange. I think I my dad worked worked for a company called Standard Process Laboratories, which still exists and may, has made for years and years since the late 20s, natural vitamin supplements from whole foods, organic foods, vegetables, fruits, etc. that they grow on their own on their own properties. So we always grew up in this sort of interesting environment. Everybody else had a one a day vitamin in their cupboard. We had a whole bunch of brown bottles that were in the cupboard above the above the stove, which probably wasn't the best place to store them now that I think about it. But our friends were amazed. They were like, what are all these things? So anyway, my, my dad is a quiet guy. We never really got into all the details of what he did, but he was very committed to these supplements. And he also was committed to getting unpasteurized, unhomogenized milk. And we always used butter. We never used margarine, which was very popular in Wisconsin back in, the, back in those days. And we, we did eat uh, foods that might now be considered not ideal or optimal, packaged foods sometimes, and ice cream and other things. But in general, I think we ate pretty much of a whole foods diet. So I was raised with that background. And then somewhere along the line, for reasons that I never quite understood, I developed an eating disorder at a very young age, long before anybody knew what that was. So needless to say, it was rather uh, a difficult and unfortunate journey that uh, ultimately ended up in good things. But during, during the course of my high school uh, career, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And so I entered medical technology, thinking possibly I might wanna go to medical school at some point, even though that was probably not an ideal time for a female to be thinking about medical school. So I became a medical technologist, and interestingly, I worked in a hospital lab, but we had the opportunity to go to the floors and see patients draw blood and actually do something called delayed hypersensitivity skin testing on burn patients, which at the time was something that one of the physicians was interested in doing to determine whether or not these patients were anergic. And ultimately, delayed hypersensitivity skin testing was something that was used in the nutrition world as well. So it was kind of a backdoor way of finding out something about the nutrition field that, that might uh, have been another career option for me. After a while, med tech just got a little bit boring for me. I enjoyed what I was doing, but I felt like there wasn't really anywhere to advance at that time. So I talked with the hospital dietitian who said, oh, just go to graduate school, get a master's degree and you can become a dietitian. Well, this was a while ago, long before the internet, long before you could 
You could pick up the phone, of course, but there weren't really easy ways to find out, gee, how do I become a dietitian? So I applied to graduate school at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, about 70 miles from Milwaukee, where I grew up, was accepted and earned a master's degree in nutritional sciences from a very biochemically focused uh, group of people. So it was a fascinating, very high level intellectual experience and did get to meet some dietetic interns at that time who were taking graduate level courses as part of their internship. Then I discovered, oops, you can't just get a master's degree and become a dietitian. So that began a journey of taking a number of courses which would now be considered part of your verification statement. So psych, econ, physics, pharmacology, where I actually had the opportunity to connect with the man who ultimately became my husband. So that took a while. It ended up taking almost five years for me to actually complete not only the master's degree, but the coursework and then be accepted into a dietetic internship at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. So that began finished up sort of my academic career for in dietetics, but that internship was fabulous. I had experience in everything from the cystic fibrosis clinic, outpatient to transplant to nutrition support. And this was in the very early days of the Aspen organization and the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition was, was new and just an amazing resource for me. So it was kind of a, a wonderful journey from sort of a, a hospital-based role without a great nutrition focus to this incredibly interesting and exciting multifaceted internship in dietetics. Cool. Awesome. Keep going. I'm enjoying okay. it. Okay. All right. <laughs> so then what? Well, so I, I mentioned meeting my husband. So we met, we got married, we had our first child and he took a job in New Jersey uh, working for a pharmaceutical company. So we moved and I was debating at that time food service, which I had really enjoyed in my internship. I, I did some food service student work before I became a dietetic intern. And I really enjoyed that aspect. Back in the day, it was cooked chill and microwaving food. And uh, we had very, very limited resources back then for anyone with celiac disease or any other allergies. And thank God that that has changed over the years. So it was either food service or a clinical job. And I had two opportunities in Trenton, New Jersey, where we were living at the time. And I ended up taking the clinical role at a 350 bed hospital called Mercer Medical Center in Trenton. It was the most amazing experience, I think, in my clinical career in the sense that in three and a half years, I had the opportunity to do pretty much everything that you could do in a 350 bed hospital. We had a small NICU, they had one small adult ICU, had a very, very active oncology program, which had what would now be called an interprofessional team, uh, doctors, nurses, dietitians, speech language pathologists that met weekly and talked about patients. I worked extensively with the nurses to educate patients who were going home on tube feeding. That was, that was fabulous. I worked in the radiation oncology outpatient clinic and of course didn't do all these things at the same time. I, during the three and a half years that I was there, I had the opportunity to take a lot of different roles and work with some fabulous people who had worked at other major organizations. And actually the leader at the time of the department took the dietitians from wearing white uniforms, white hose, white shoes, 
uh, no caps, but otherwise all white, to wearing business suits on the floors, not even any lab coats. And that, needless to say, caught the attention of a lot of people. Some of the physicians weren't as happy with it as, as others, but I think the biggest, everything there was wonderful, and it was the best experience I think I could ever have had as a new dietitian. The only downside was that there were, the doctors came in, did their rounds, and then went to their offices. So there wasn't the consistent medical presence that you would have in an academic medical center, which I later learned when I, we moved to North Carolina and I was able to work at Duke, was the most incredibly fascinating and educational experience I could ever have had, is to actually work side by side with medical residents who ultimately, many of them went on to become attendings and sometimes chiefs of departments. So you establish these relationships at an early age with these physicians and they became trusting of you and your advice and the services that you provided. And then later on, they would tell their residents or their medical students, listen to her, she knows what she's talking about. So the relationships that were founded in, in that sort of academic interprofessional setting were, were just absolutely without, without peer. So it was fascinating to be able to be at Duke starting out in a transplant and surgical ICU role back then. There was very, very little in the way of transplant nutrition information published. And I was able to connect with Dr. Jeanette Hassey, who still works in transplant in Texas, who was, was and still is an incredible mentor and fountain of information about transplant. I was able to work on a nutrition support team with Dr. John Grant, who was one of the presidents of Aspen and, and a leader in nutrition support. And ultimately, during the course of a long career at Duke, ended up being interim director of our department and then director of the department. So it was an incredible transition, really fascinating to go from being a peer and a colleague of these dietitians over many years and suddenly, literally overnight, being told that the former boss was leaving and that you were going to be in charge of everyone. Um, that's, if I have a piece of advice for anybody who's interested in management at some point or thinks they might be called upon to manage, get a mentor early on, talk to people, take courses, do everything you can to learn about management before you might be actually thrust into it because you can always learn but it was, it was a really uh, interesting few years there. And I commend my colleagues and everyone who supported me across leadership and other departments because they were, they were very, very helpful helping me navigate through that time. So Duke was a fabulous experience. I, I never would, would want to, I'm, I'm just so glad I had the opportunity to be there and do a lot of different things there. We ended up then moving to Chicago and I was able to get a similar position at the University of Chicago Medical Center, starting out in transplant, lung transplant this time. So it was, again, an interesting uh, way to climb an, another educational ladder. And at that point, of course, there were more resources that were readily available electronically and other ways to, to learn about what to do. And again, had the same experience there. I started out in a role, then was asked to be interim director of the department, and then became director of the department. So an, an interesting group of, of individuals that I didn't know as well, because I hadn't been there as long, but was able to network through the academy, uh, through the local dietetic association, and through the academy with, with clinical nutrition managers across the country. And that experience was, in, was invaluable. I could. Uh, Susan Roberts at Baylor at the time was, was a great support to me. 
as was Seema Desai, who was the Director of Nutrition at Duke later on in her career. Many wonderful people who helped me navigate through managing the adult dietitians and then of course having to also take over management of the pediatric dietitians, which is something that I had not ever done. So learning about the infant formula room and all the issues that go along with that and, and just navigating a number of different physician relationships with people that I really hadn't gotten to know in the same way that I got to know the folks at Duke. So just another way of, of interacting with, with peers at the at director level and trying to network through and again using academy resources on leadership and management. So there, if there's a theme here, it's that the academy is, is a wonderful resource for individuals not only to learn and grow, but also I can tell you here that none of the jobs that I've ever had, every one of the jobs that I ever had, I found through Academy Connections. I'm moving, can you help me meet somebody? And it was always someone who said, well, talk to so-and-so, or I was able to follow up with someone that I had met before. So I like it. after some time at UFC, uh, a colleague that I had met through the Academy, through a Dietitians and Nutrition Support Evidence Analysis Project in the early, early infancy of those, those projects, who invited me to come and interview for a medical affairs job at Baxter International, Baxter Healthcare Corporation, which I did, and I was able to achieve that job and spent the last roughly seven years of my career working in medical affairs and as a medical science liaison, interfacing with the sales force, interfacing with customers, doing advertising and promotion reviews to be sure that all the information that went out in an advertising way at Baxter was consistent with FDA regulations and with evidence-based evidence -based resources. It was uh, a wonderful way to end a career. I guess earlier in my career, I thought if you worked for a company, all you, your only options were doing sales, which of course is a very valid and legitimate way to make, make a living and, and help people. Well, let me, let me tell you now, there are many, many opportunities in industry that go well beyond the sales force that I, th I would encourage anyone who's listening to this to think about if you haven't already done so, because the opportunities are, are endless and what you can do. And depending on your particular strengths, you can target your focus to sales, you can target it to advertising and promotion review, to medical information, to marketing. It goes on. Lots of opportunities. Yes. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing, sharing all that. So you went from Wisconsin to New Jersey to North Carolina, Illinois. So you've had a you had a good run around. You've done a lot of clinical with the end doing um, business, and you've had a very interesting career. So thank you for sharing. Appreciate sure. that. All right. So next question for you. Um, let's talk about the academy. What would you say um, you were president? How many years ago? Um, I was president in 2018 to 2019. 18 to 19. Okay. Right. So. What would you like to, would you like to share anything about that or what is your, uh, or talk about, um, you know, volunteering in general with the Academy, what, whatever you want to say, go for it. Well, it's interesting you would ask that because I remember when I was, I was doing my dietetic internship at University of Wisconsin back a long, long time ago, there was a person on the faculty of the nutrition, nutritional sciences department who actually ended up leaving that department and going to work for the Academy. 
And that even though Chicago is not very far, maybe three hours away from Madison, it just seemed like a world away. Oh, wow, the big city of, of Chicago, she's going to work for the Academy. Didn't really know exactly what that meant, but it was always kind of in the back of my mind to think, wouldn't it be cool to be more involved with the Academy? As I said, every experience I've ever had has been connections. I, I started early on, once I got to uh, North Carolina, getting involved with the local dietetic association, moving up to the state dietetic association, and then ultimately volunteering at the national level for committees, and then finally putting my hat in the ring for the president-elect position. It was just a memorable experience beyond all explanation. I would. Anyone who's interested in leadership, I would say keep that as a goal because it's really an amazing opportunity to network, to connect, to help form policy, to work with the board, to work with the CEO, who of course now it will be changing, actually did change as of July 1st. Yes. So a new, um, a new way to look at the organization as, as it always is with, with a new leader. But my personal experience was marked by the most wonderful connections with students, with members around the country, because this was pre-COVID, so we were still able to go to affiliate meetings, meet people, participate in award ceremonies, just listen to the, the marvelous work that these individuals did, whether they were students or whether they were long-established members who were mem members of the year in individual states. That connection with members at, across the country was, was so memorable. Fancy 2018 was in Washington, D.C., and some of you may have seen a photo, which I, I will send to Angel, and hopefully he can superimpose on this podcast, of the entire membership standing in front of the U.S. Capitol. It's a very wide pan. Everyone's wearing red, white, and blue. We had the public policy workshop in person in D.C. that year, and absolutely we're advocating for nutrition on Capitol Hill, training individuals who had maybe not been exposed to advocacy and policy with lectures and workshops prior to the Hill and then going and visiting folks on the Hill. That was a memory that I'll never forget, as was the memory of actually being on stage and interviewing uh, in sort of an Oprah style, very brief Oprah style interview with Jose Andres, the amazing chef of World Central Kitchen, who has done so much humanitarian work. He was the most unassuming and wonderful man. He didn't want to give a speech. He just wanted to chat. So we sat on the stage and we chatted together. That experience, I will, I will also share a photo of that. That I will absolutely never forget. I think we talked about a number of major issues when I was president, certainly malnutrition and the Malnutrition Quality Improvement Initiative and the work that Sharon McCauley and her team have done to raise awareness of malnutrition among physicians, members, and CMS as well. I did media training, which I know, Angel, you've been a media spokesperson, and I take my hat off to you and all your colleagues because media is the way we need to communicate, and those of us who have not been trained in that area can benefit a lot, and I did, from the exposure to trained individuals who can teach us how to give the message in, a, in the most possible, possibly effective way. Uh, I think the Model Practice Act, which is helping individuals across the country, particularly states, work on licensure and modify their licensure laws to reflect the most model 
and, and best practices has, was something that was started at that point, certainly by the policy and advocacy team. And also the work with the DPGs and the MIGs to assure that the DPGs and the MIGs, who are such a vital part of the academy and the basis for volunteers, for a lot of volunteer opportunities for a lot of individuals, that that relationship between the DPGs and the MIGs and the academy staff is as strong and effective as it can be. Another thing that I'll talk about just briefly is the modification to the Code of Ethics, which has been modified a number of times over the years, since 1931 when it was first established, but I had the privilege of serving on a task force to uh, update the Code of Ethics for the profession of nutrition and dietetics that is uh, co-sponsored by the Academy and CDR, and that's, that was an opportunity of a lifetime, and I've since had the opportunity to speak to students on a regular basis about the Code of Ethics and have been just so thrilled with the great reception that students give to a talk about ethics and civility. It hasn't, it, it's always been a wonderful experience and I hope to continue doing that. Awesome, okay, well, no, this is great, thank you. All right, so I guess the next question that I have for you is, uh, well, let me let me ask before I ask this, um, is the R word in effect now? Are you retired or no? <laughs> well, yes, actually, thanks for bringing that up. I did retire officially from my role at Baxter at the end of 2020. Okay. And so I am not uh, employed in, in a full or part-time job at this point. I do do some consulting that I've done for years uh, usually in the area of reviewing articles and, and presentations for continuing education and writing continuing education exams. There is a process that you can go through with the academy to be, I don't think certified is right, quite the right word, but approved to, to be a question writer. So I did that in the past and I've had the opportunity to work with organizations who are seeking someone to review their continuing education opportunities. So that's been really fun. I also review occasionally for Nutrition and Clinical Practice, which is a journal that Aspen publishes, which is completely a volunteer opportunity. Um, and I, I'm currently the chair of the Academy's Nutrition, the ADPAC, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetic Political Action Committee. And also, I am uh, an incoming delegate for the new Disabilities MIG, uh, which was created by Neva Cochran and Susie Baxter to represent uh, individuals across the continuum of nutrition and dietetics who have disabilities of all types. So, lots, lots to do. Uh, not, not just sitting around knitting or, or tending my plants. Although, <laughs> I don't knit, but I do tend the plants. But. Uh, but it's, it's really fun to uh, sleep in a little bit more and actually to pick and choose opportunities uh, that fit travel and other kinds of things that we'd like to do uh, before we get too old to do it. Nice, nice. All right, so with that being said, the, the next question is, is interesting because if you could do it all over again in your career, <laughs> what would you change and what would you keep the same? And so you have the context, you're still volunteering, you're still being active, just in a different capacity. What would you, what would you say for that? Well, it's so interesting to think about it because even, even though I am hardly a, a techie, I've been exposed like everyone has to the effect of, of internet and, and streaming and social media and so many things that did not exist when I was starting out in my career. So I, I think the first thing that I would say 
I had it to do all over again is I would have done a little bit more homework. I, I was confused and I wasn't sure what I was going to do back in those med tech days. So maybe maybe a lot of people feel that way. But I, I would, would like to have had a, a little more, perhaps a little more backbone and say, okay, yes, it is a time when women aren't getting into medical school, but I'm going to try instead of saying, oh, okay, well, you think it's going to be hard. Maybe I'll try to, maybe I'll do something else. So I think sticking up for myself a little more, doing a little more research uh, rather than just uh, sort of, which I think I did at the time, relying on other people to sort of advise me and just taking their word without thinking it through. So that's, I think, knowing yourself, it's, it's a hackneyed phrase, but I think that's something that I wish I had done a little more is just set myself down and say, this is what I love to do. This is what I don't like to do. I'm good at this. I'm not so good at that. And follow through in, in that regard. I'm not really sure what what I would have done, um, what I would have done, but I wish I would have done a little bit more homework. I think it all turned out well in the end, but, but definitely I think a little more preparation would have been helpful. I love, I think I told you several times, I loved what I did, especially that first job. I think I, I was so lucky to fall into that job and see the breadth of, of dietetics opportunities and be able to sort of leverage that uh, into into different career paths from there so that that part was good I wouldn't necessarily do that over again but um, I'm not I think I think retiring when I retired was probably a good thing I'm really delighted that I had the opportunity to do some of these things for the profession some volunteer some not that keep keep me informed and keep me keep me engaged so overall, I think knowing myself a bit more, taking some time to actually figure out where, where, what kind of things I was good at and what kind of things I like to do before I actually took a step to go into a training program would have been something I would have done over. And I think that's a little bit easier now. There's so many tools out there for individuals uh, that, that didn't exist when I was coming up. Well, I was about to say, it's a, it's a whole new world. You know? It's a whole a new world. A whole new world out there. So no, I uh, I respect that answer. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. Um, well, you kind of hinted at it. You know, the for the next question here, what does the future hold for you? Any anything else? You're, I'm, I'm assuming you're gonna continue to just stay involved and do. You're still volunteering with the academy. You're still doing all these things. So you know, definitely. I I, I'm looking forward to getting involved with the Wisconsin Academy. Uh, I've reached out to their legislative and public policy person and getting involved on their board. I understand from Jeannie Blankenship and the National uh, Office of Policy and Advocacy that Wisconsin has a very robust group of individuals who are working with the, the legislators here. And I think that's something that when I was working, and maybe this applies to some of your listeners, it was a bit hard, especially in more clinical roles, to get away from work to go to the state capitol and interface with legislators. Of course, you could write letters, but we consistently hear that in person, going to events, face-to-face -face with either their legislator or their, their health person would be the best way to communicate. And that wasn't always an option for me. So I'm looking forward living just 25 minutes away from the state capitol now to be able to actually interface and, and try to work with the Wisconsin Academy to affect policy because there's so many nutrition, the farm bill and, and 
School Nutrition and the Medical Nutrition Therapy Act and many other things that are out there. So I would encourage your listeners, if they aren't already involved in the advocacy alerts, to get involved, to consider supporting ANPAC, or if you if you aren't able to at this point, to actually think about whether ANPAC could help you fund going to an event in your state so that you can actually get the nutrition word out there to a broader swath of legislators even that we already have. And I would be happy to talk to anyone and certainly the policy and advocacy team, which you can find at eatright.org advocacy, would be delighted to talk to you. So I'm looking forward to actually doing that and hopefully getting involved in, in food, a food bank here in food bank and or community garden in this area. Awesome, awesome. Well, I could chat with you all day but uh, I wanna respect your time. So the final question for you is, any words of wisdom for the next generation of registered dietitian nutritionists? Well, I, I just say, go for, go for your dreams. It's been so just in, wonderful for me to learn all the opportunities that students have now, that young aspiring dietitians have. I was talking to someone just the other day who was able to do an internship and, and I'm not sure that's exactly the right term, but, but a, a, a period of time working in the Academy's Office of Policy Initiatives and Advocacy in DC. I also talked to someone who had the opportunity to work with a company, uh, one of the well-known companies that makes nutritional products as an intern in their medical affairs area, doing the kinds of things that I talked about, working with people who are creating webinars and things of that nature. Those are just two things. I can only imagine the extent of opportunities that are available to individuals who are studying nutrition to do internships or traineeships that never existed before. So absolutely look, look for those. And never forget about the Academy Foundation scholarships uh, as you seek to do an undergraduate or a graduate degree, or hopefully many of you or some of you will go for the the doctoral level degrees, which we need so desperately to train the next generation. Think about the scholarships opportunities that are available through the foundation. And while you're at it, if you can just give a couple of dollars every now and then to the foundation or to ANPAC, that would start a lifetime of connection and opportunity that you can pay forward to the next generation after you. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate all your answers. Before we end this video, I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor. It's me. Your greatest gift if you are watching this on YouTube is to like, comment, subscribe, ring the notification bell, and share this content. If you are listening on a podcast platform, please share away. And of course, if you want to buy me a coffee, you can go to buy me a coffee and share a beverage my way. And if you want to purchase one for the guests that I just interviewed, send it my way and I will gift it to that individual. Thank you very much for watching and have a great rest of your day.